MP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And a good morning to you. Josh Silver in for Bill Newman on your Wednesday morning hump day with a big show. I actually, Bill asked me to guest host for him today, and I, uh, Monty, I went for it. I got some really good guests. I can't wait to hear him. Yeah, no, I did. And we're going to be, we're going to whiplash you around this morning. We're going to go national, and then in the second segment, we're going to bring it back home. We're going to talk about a local issue. And then for the second uh, half of the show, we've got um, Mark McKinnon in, who's one of the stars of the Showtime show, the big, the big circus, the circus, and it's in its eighth season covering American politics. Very popular show. In fact, his one of his co-stars on the show just replaced Rachel Maddow oh, on MSNBC. Oh, nice! So we have a good show. Uh, but first, I'm uh, I'm I'm very excited to tackle this topic uh, in the first quarter, which is uh, about this question of disinformation. Now, I was going to talk about digital disinformation, but in fact, as our guest is going to talk about in a moment, um, you know, this is not as simple as just digital disinformation. Media bubbles, uh, what they call confirmation bias, the fact that people who feel one way in politics tend to see one kind of news online and on TV and on radio, uh, and people who see politics another way see an entirely set of voices and faces with an entirely different set of facts are confirming their own biases, creating this polarized uh, country that is actually, by some indications, <clears throat> facing record levels of polarization that we haven't seen for, for many, many generations. To help us unpack it is Kelsey Souter. She's with the firm GQR, works on these issues um, as a professional. She's advised uh, presidents and prime ministers around the world. She's got a formidable track record and is going to help inform us on this. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So so let's start there. We've got this, uh, you know, differing analyses as to the extent and scope of the problem. Some people point to social media and the way that you see bots and you see people who are sort of intentionally promoting false information. And then, of course, you've got uh, the, the the cable news networks, the the Newsmaxes, the Foxes, the OANs of the right, and the, you got the MSNBCs and the and the democracy nows of the left. Help help us understand this. Does the blame lie on one side or the other? Does it is it shared? What's your take? Uh, yeah, I mean, like to be clear, humans in general are susceptible to believing things that we already think are true, right? All of us are sort of susceptible to this, so. Um, the blame, I think, does not lie with the sort of consumers and the people, but there are certainly organizations, entities with a hyper-partisan agenda who are helping to spread these things. And there is research that shows that there is more of this happening on the far right than the far left. Um, uh, and that's, you know, kind of the reality of where we are at. But certainly, you know, it is it can be very hard for people to tease out what is sort of a trustworthy news source, whether that is on cable, as you said, or online. And what are the most pernicious dynamics that are driving this polarization from your perspective? Yeah, so I mean, you know, election years, things get worse. This is all about political power and political gain and dividing people up in ways uh, that benefit, you know, people with that sort of political agenda. So you know, anyone who is spending time on social media sort of doesn't need them to tell me what they're seeing. I think a lot of um, your listeners have seen a lot of this stuff in their own browsing. But when it comes to sort of political mis and disinformation, I think you can sort of put things into a few different buckets. 
a lot of what we see, especially in election years, is just sort of content that is meant to drive wedges between different groups of people or different groups of voters. So that could be between white people and people of color, or we're seeing a lot trying to drive wedges between parents and teachers, uh, between different religious groups. These are the sort of culture war narratives where bad actors are creating sort of a moral panic meant to make people feel angry or afraid. So we just see a lot of content out there that's meant to demonize a whole group of people to say this type of person is probably a criminal or this type of person wants to hurt your children because partisan actors can exploit those divisions for their own power. There's also sort of the more like political policy end of disinfo that is meant to, you know, redirect blame for like negative policy outcomes. So for example, right now we see a lot of misleading information about what is causing say high gas prices. Um, and that's tricky because that is genuinely a multifaceted problem with a lot of factors. So it's very easy to manipulate the truth. And then of course, there's a lot of political mis and disinformation that is meant to just manipulate elections to make it more confusing or harder to vote or to sort of justify attempts to change the rules of voting, that kind of thing. And, and you know, as, as you're well aware, the landscape is changing so quickly. So anybody who purports to understand the dynamics of what's happening, particularly regarding digital disinformation, uh, today, uh, that, that was very different 10 years ago or five years ago. What are the most sort of pronounced and remarkable shifts that you're seeing just say over the last four or five years since the, since the last major presidential election? Yeah, I think, you know, early on when I sort of first started doing this, we used to talk a lot about foreign actors and bots and the sort of artificial tactics that would go into pushing some of this harmful content. And that's definitely still a problem. But I think more and more we become aware to the extent that it's really sort of U.S. domestic based organizations and networks who are investing in building out the infrastructure to move this content farther. And then the sort of like artificial stuff and foreign actors like to sort of jump in and stir the pot and make it worse. Um, but a lot of this is unfortunately sort of coming from, you know, in the call is coming from inside the house, so to speak. So that is something that's changed a lot. We've also just seen that bad actors are really good at innovating and they're really good at staying ahead of platform trends. So as, for example, Facebook started to invest more and more in Facebook groups, bad actors jumped on that. And we've started to see a proliferation of harmful content that is spreading within these sort of private and public Facebook groups where you've got this built in sense of trust and community because you're all in this group because you share something in common. Um, and, you know, now we're seeing it increasingly with a shift to videos and we're seeing a lot more mis and disinformation on TikTok. And that can be sort of harder for our brains to process because things move so quickly there that you're not doing the same level of fact checking as you are when you are reading something. So just really this stuff is always sort of three steps ahead of um, the platform's ability to fight it. You know, it's it's interesting because uh, two days ago, NBC came out with this poll. I don't know if if uh, Monty, did you guys cover this on the show that democ threats to democracy came in as the number one threat to the American voters, according to a nationwide NBC poll? This is unprecedented. This is we have. I don't think we've ever seen this in our nation's history. So, and and when we think about threats to democracy, it's a, it's I, I would argue it's sort of two sides of of the same coin. One is. The, the the disinformation side is a is a huge part of it and then the structural threats sort of you know voter suppression manipulating the electoral college <clears throat> uh, the sort of first past the post 
uh, elections that that actually promote gerrymandering, that promote ge- uh, polarization. But one leads to the other. The disinformation makes it right. possible to change all those rules. Deeply interconnected. But I want to get back to that that first question, and then I want to quickly pivot to solutions because everyone's keen on that, of course, because uh, there's a feeling that there are none. Um, but but what about this balance between you know the the pernicious influence of digital disinformation and traditional information? Because a recent study showed that in fact. Uh, traditional news um, coming across radio and cable television particularly are actually the most impactful in terms of size of audience and uh, and negative effect. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I have no reason to doubt that that is true. We know that, you know, cable news, uh, people who are consuming cable news tend to consume the same programs over and over again. So you're kind of getting this steady diet. You trust the hosts and the anchors who you are paying attention to. So it's a little bit different than on social media where things are kind of floating through your feed and you might not be paying super close attention, but it's a little bit different than cable. Um, But I think the point of it being reinforcing is also really important. You know, the fact that people are seeing these things in multiple places matters a lot. Our brains substitute repetition for truth. And so when we see something on cable news and then we go online and we also see it there and then we hear it out loud from someone in our network, all of those things are reinforcing and make some things feel more true to us. Now, this is not fair because I'm only giving you about a minute and a half to do this. But can what is happening in the area of fixing this that is most heartening and that our listeners could you know maybe take a little positivity out of this interview? Definitely. So, you know, there are a lot of the sort of like good tips that I think get repeated a lot. Like it's really important to fact check anything before you share it with your own network. All of those sort of um, tips that people have heard a lot before are really important and they matter. You do have to slow down and like engage your critical thinking brain when you are on social media, especially for anything that triggers a strong reaction. I would kind of go beyond that and encourage people to like take their social engagement, social media engagement really seriously. Um, We need to think about how social media works. You know, our attention, our clicks are the business model. That means that those views and clicks are literally worth money to someone. So we should be aware of what kinds of content we reward with our engagement. So I would encourage people to, you know, give your likes and your comments and your shares to accounts that are sharing proactive and worthwhile stuff and don't give them to accounts that are sharing harmful and false things. I think one of the, you know, hardest things about social media is that the way you interact with content determines how far it spreads. So even if you are trying to debunk or argue against something, if you are liking, commenting, engaging with content, you are moving it in front of more eyeballs and showing that post to more people. Got it. Uh, And then beyond that, I think, you know, understanding that this content spreads because there are sort of these bad actors, but also platforms need to do more and they're capable of doing more if we push them to and sort of support efforts on that. Any recommended URL for our listeners to go to to find out more information about this stuff? So in terms of fact-checking, I really love PolitiFact. That's a good source. There are organizations out there like Accountable Tech that are keeping tabs on sort of efforts to keep social media platforms accountable. Tech Transparency Project is another one. Uh, and then Media Matters also does really good reporting on sort of how um, some of these bad actor networks and social media networks and cable networks are sort of manipulating the media environment. Um, and it's worth following them as well. Kelsey Suter, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Um, I'm Josh Silver in for Bill Newman. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hi, this is Nick Seaman from the Black Sheep in downtown Amherst. We're now open seven days a week from 8 a.m. And we have live music every Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 1. We continue to make our great sandwiches, bake our wonderful croissants, Danish breads and desserts, and brew Dean's Beans organic coffee. We also have a freezer full of entrees to go that will help you simplify your life. And if you're having a party, let us know how we can help you make it a success. Just call our catering department to talk about menu options. On a political note, always remember that the Second Amendment says, quote, well-regulated. Make sure you call your congressman and senator and demand that they do their jobs. We're the black sheep in downtown Amherst, having fun with food and politics since 1986. Save 30% at WHMP.com. If you're into free, you'll love Greenfield Savings Bank's free checking. Of course, there are no monthly fees and no fees for check or deposit transactions. But that's just the beginning. With GSB free checking, you get free online banking, free e-statements, and free GSB mobile app, which lets you bank from anywhere, anytime, including depositing checks from your mobile device. Plus, GSB online banking and the GSB mobile app come with the free GSB credit center, where you can get your credit score and credit report for free. And the GSB mobile app also lets you control your GSB debit card remotely from your mobile device, which also comes free with your GSB free checking account. You can also set up alerts and controls for your free GSB debit card. Open your account online or at any of our offices. And did I mention the free welcome gift when you open your account? Switch to free at Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfieldsavings.com. Member FDIC, member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance, which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Josh Silver in for Bill Newman. Next topic, bringing it back home to Northampton. There has been lots and lots of back and forth around the question of how does Northampton respond in the surrounding community, respond to the COVID crisis, which has changed dramatically over the last couple of years. Uh, there's, there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of tension around when should masks be required, when should they not be required, what are the protocols, wonder what rules would a student get kicked out of school or should they not be, um, you know, and it goes on and on and it's a hard one. Uh, but there, it, it, it circled back recently when the school committee in Northampton, uh, presented a set of proposed guidelines for this fall, um, that prompted a, a, an op-ed from our next guest, Greg Schwartz is a resident of, of Florence who 
helps company to market uh, to other in other business, a guest a content contributor uh, to entrepreneurs, Forbes, Salesforce, HubSpot, a, a writer, a a business guy with a pen. I'm going to call him Greg. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So you wrote a you wrote an op ed uh, recently, uh, voicing concern about how policy was is coming together for this fall for the Northampton area schools. Um, and it was compelling, and I, I thought, um, well, let's start by, if you could just summarize what concerns you had that prompted you to write the piece and what you wrote. Yeah, well, thank, thanks for having me. Um, you know, so I would say that my opinion has been the same since 2020. It's like, let's follow the science, let's, let's follow the CDC. Um, I don't think that I'm uh, too outside the norm on that. Um, and what... I, I would say my article, there were two points that I was trying trying to make is um, the, the proposed policy had the mask ma mandate kick in at medium. And to me, you know, and, and I put the line in the article, I was rather proud of it, that this, this policy is a wolf in sheep's clothing. So it's like, okay, you know, it's medium risk. That sounds okay. But the reality is, is that we're probably going to be in medium risk the entire year. So hence, it is effectively a mask policy, mask mandate for much of the school year. Um, and really, I was talking to my frustration in kind of our community in general, um, that, you know, I, my family, we moved to Northampton, we identify as as liberal and in, in every which way you could imagine. Um, and uh, we just kind of felt like this push to the max thinking. Um, is being applied to masks, mask wearing, and it really, um, you know, and in, in, in my family's opinion, there's no place for that. Like this is a medical issue, and we need to follow uh, CDC and other guidelines. Yeah. So let, well, let's back up because a lot of people don't know what medium means, and and so I'll kind of clarify. So I, I think it's some pink. Oh no, that's with steak, right? Yeah, yeah. Monty's always so far I'm behind. It's like my lunchtime. Yeah. So so no. So here's the thing. Um, the, the issue at hand is that the Center for Disease Control and the DESI, which I'll, I'll never remember what that stands for. Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Okay. So, <laughs> okay it's so, also Lucille Ball's husband. Okay. So he's smart about one okay. thing. He knows one thing, which is DESI. That's great. Um, they came out with guidelines and recommendations in the, in the last couple months uh, that are very, you know, they're ever-changing, but they are now current um, and recent for the fall uh, school year. And what, you, what your piece responded to was a proposed policy in Northampton that it varies pretty dramatically from the official guidelines from the Center for Disease Control, the federal agency, and the state agency as well here in Massachusetts. And I think what's perplexing about that and the reason that, it, that your piece caught my eye, Greg, is that we have followed the state and, and federal guidelines throughout the pandemic. And the people who have been most concerned and, and prone towards mandatory mask wearing have cited those recommendations continually when faced with, say, maybe being more relaxed than those, those guidelines or, or, or not. But it now seems like they're going the other way. Now that the official guidelines say that masks should not be required unless the the pandemic or COVID reaches very you know very significant high levels, um, now they're they're diverging from that official recommendation. Can you talk about that? Yeah, and you know, and I'd like to also say, Josh, that you know this isn't new. We've seen this for some time, and my article 
really was speaking to the broader um, Northampton community. Um, you know, just to kind of give a little, you know, another example, just outside of the elementary schools, I have a, my, my younger one was at a, a preschool in Northampton. The EEC, which is, uh, you know, the department that, uh, you know, for the early education said kids should not wear masks outdoors. Um, yet uh, the program my younger son was in had children in KN95 masks outdoors, irregardless of temperature. So uh, my, my, you know, so there were children um, in extreme heat having to wear K95 masks and it was, um, you know, completely out of out of line. And we just kind of kept bumping into this in Northampton, just this take it to the max thinking that is really detrimental. I mean, um, you know, there are liberal communities outside of Northampton who, uh, you know, mask optional and just kind of follow kind of what I would say common sense. Um, and, you know, again, I, I, at least in my opinion, I think that there's this notion of like, we don't want to be anything like those Karens of 2020 where they won't wear a mask um, to, you know, we're not taking them off. Um, and uh, we, you know, to be consistent and to be intellectual about it, we need to, you know, if we're going to follow the guidelines in 2020 and 2021, we need to be following them now. Yeah, uh, and that's what my article was speaking out to. Well, and also, I mean, just to add to that, that just for people who have not been following this issue earlier this year, one of the big kind of issues was that in the entire state of Massachusetts, which had much, much more stringent mask requirements than, than, than say the, the states out West. I mean, I, I, I know a school teacher in Colorado who they literally never had masks. Like they, they never had masks, like even in the most intense time. Now I'm not, I'm not recommending yeah. that. But. And, and, if, and if I could just add that there were a lot of liberals that were fine with it, you know, like it, it was, uh, I, I don't think this necessarily needs to be a conservative, you know, a yeah. Democrat versus Republican issue. But the issue was that there was a considerable amount of time earlier this year when uh, the the city of of Northampton was still requiring masks in schools when about 95, 96% of the other schools in the state had dropped those mask mandates. And, and then it got even narrower. I think it got to like 98%. And at the same time, the state had required, re removed the mask mandate so that kids were, when they're not in school, out in public, when, if they walk into Harold's, if they walk into, um, a, a movie theater, there's nobody wearing yeah. masks, but they have to wear masks in school and speech yeah. pathologists, which yeah. is ironically a really hard word to say. Speech pathologist. Yeah, good, good job. Good job. Yeah. Monty. I had to go uh, to one when I was a kid. Yeah. Every talking about how it's much harder to learn. It's harder to socialize. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, I mean, I think, I think this is, this is critical, but, but, but what's your sense in terms of the direction this is going? Are you getting a, a read into how this is going to land? Um, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, CDC and common sense prevails and, it, and, and just thank, thanks for bringing up, you know, the speech therapist, you know, my, my wife has been very vocal and I would say this area, um, is close to our hearts. My wife's a speech therapist, uh, in town. Um, and she wrote that op-ed about a year ago, not knowing that we did not know that there was this mass choice in Northampton. We did not know that there were other people that had a, shared a similar opinion that we do. And, you know, Essentially, over the past two years, my wife started getting more and more phone calls of concerned parents and uh, children that had, you know, speech therapy, speech issues prior to the pandemic. Imagine a kid that is self-conscious about their speech and people not being able to understand them. Put a mask on them and, and then see what happens to their mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, 
provide there are not enough mental health providers speech therapists any kind of providers to support going into our fourth year of mask wearing and um when the school committee voted to keep the mask mandate even though this is the state said to get rid of it my wife woke me up hysterical crying and i thought god forbid a family member passed away and she was like northampton is keeping its mask mandate and she was weeping for her own students who were suffering and, and, and drowning in uh, in their own insecurities and uh, anxiety and, and 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 you name it yeah so this was an area passionate to us greg schwartz really appreciate you being on the show and helping to inform us and we'll we'll have you back on down the road if things change sounds great all right i'm josh Thank silver you so yeah you bet in for bill newman we'll be back with mark mckinnon in a minute This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Hampshire County Sheriff Patrick Kalane is investigating claims of a suspicious vehicle. The Daily Hampshire Gazette reports a woman has driven by the home of a Hampshire County jail employee several times and taken photos of his house and yard. The police reports filed indicate the car was a black SUV with government plates. The employee thinks this was the result of a lawn sign he had in support of Caitlin Cepeda. In a separate incident in Goshen, 12 lawn signs were stolen showing support for Avon Gittleson and Cepeda. Kay Lane said an investigation into the matter will be conducted, likely by an outside party. Kay Lane, Cepeda, and Gittleson will appear at a final forum for the candidates for Hampshire County Sheriff tomorrow at the Northampton Center for the Arts. Hampshire College is expecting about 270 new students on campus next week, a near 75% increase over last year, as the college rebounds from nearly closing just over three years ago. Hampshire College President Edward Wingenbach. Part of what's going on there is students are really excited about what they can do at Hampshire that they can't do anywhere else. Substantial fundraising efforts have also helped to keep the college afloat. Hampshire has raised $34 million in the last three years, and the school has the goal of raising $60 million in the coming years. The $43 million Jones Library renovation project is moving forward after trustees voted to use an endowment to help cover costs. The trustees voted Monday to use the $8.6 million endowment to cover project costs in a worst-case scenario, even though that would deplete the account. Further discussion will take place at the next town council meeting on September 12th. Good morning. Warm here for the second half of the work week. Becoming mostly sunny today. A little breeze. Noticeable humidity, but not oppressive. A high of 84 to 88. Mostly clear tonight. 58 to 64. Partly to mostly sunny tomorrow. 86 to 90. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis. 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El doctor Anthony Fauci, el principal experto en enfermedades infecciosas del país que se convirtió en un nombre familiar y en objeto de ataques partidistas durante la pandemia de COVID-19, anunció el lunes que dejará el gobierno federal en diciembre después de más de cinco décadas. Fauci dirige el Instituto Nacional de Alergias y Enfermedades Infecciosas, es el principal asesor médico del presidente Joe Biden y también dirige un laboratorio que estudia el sistema inmunológico. Si bien la pandemia de COVID-19 lo presentó a millones de estadounidenses, ha hablado directamente a la nación sobre numerosos brotes, incluidos el VIH-Sida, el SARS, la gripe pandémica, el ébola y los ataques de antrax de 2001. 
Al anunciar su partida, Fauci, de 81 años, llamó a sus papeles el honor de su vida, pero dijo que era hora de seguir el próximo capítulo de mi carrera. Conocido por su franqueza y por su capacidad para traducir información médica compleja al lenguaje cotidiano, Fauci ha sido un asesor clave de siete presidentes, empezando por Ronald Reagan. En otras informaciones, el expresidente Donald Trump solicitó el lunes a un tribunal federal que impida temporalmente que el FBI revise los materiales que incautó hace dos semanas en su casa de Florida hasta que se pueda designar un maestro especial para supervisar la revisión. A veces se puede designar a un maestro especial en casos muy delicados para revisar los materiales incautados y asegurarse de que los investigadores no revisen información privilegiada. La búsqueda de Mar-a-Lago del 8 de agosto marcó una escalada significativa en una de las muchas investigaciones federales y estatales que Trump enfrenta desde su tiempo en el cargo y en negocios privados. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And we're back with Mark McKinnon joining us for this last leg of the show. Mark McKinnon is a legendary political operative. He is a star on the Showtime hit series, The Circus, which follows American politics, which I think is now in its like eighth year or seventh year. Can't remember, but it's a big hit. I think the most popular unscripted show uh, on that network ever. McKinnon is a political advisor, a reform advocate, a media columnist, television producer. He's on CNBC, CNN and other cable networks constantly. He was the chief media advisor to five successful presidential primary and general elections campaigns. Uh, he's worked for many causes, companies, candidates, including uh, former President George Bush, Senator John McCain, late governor of Texas, Ann Richards, Bono. Uh, from from U2, oh, that's it for you, Pontes, because you probably oh, didn't know that. I love U2 so much. Mark's kind of a legend, and one of the reasons I wanted him on the show is we live in this little liberal bastion in here in Western Massachusetts where we don't often get people who came up from the right and who grew up in Texas. And so Mark is a, is a, I guess he's a unicorn around here, but he also shares with what a lot of listeners here uh, experience, which is a, not quite getting what the heck's going on with this Trump guy and, and the rise of authoritarian in the United States. Not sure he's down with it. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So the, the first question I have for you is, you know, as, as somebody who doesn't, you know, come from the same pedigree as maybe uh, 99% of the, the guests on this show, how bad is it? You know, there's a lot of talk about how this is we're reaching civil war levels in the United States and that the things could really get bleak here in the next few years. So what's what's your what's your risk assessment for the United States in, the, in our political situation today? Well, it's bad. I mean, uh, January 6th is, I think, one of the lowest points in American history. And uh, my former party uh, or my party has been in denial about that and pushing the big lie and it has become the litmus test to be in good standing in the Republican Party anymore is to agree that there was a fraud in the 2020 election and so that makes me a member in bad standing because uh, I agree with Liz Cheney uh, and a few of the others on this island that uh, all the evidence supports the notion that it was uh, a, one of the most free and fair elections we've had in our history despite COVID. Uh, so it's it's problematic and it's violent and uh but i take i take uh i'm a prisoner of hope 
and uh, I keep trying to push this rock up the steep hill for trying to get us to back to a place where we are actually recognizing that we have mutual respect and mutual goals. Um, and the thing that gives me uh, um, some pause about that or, or some degree of optimism is uh, a poll out just this week that to me is shocking uh, because it's the NBC uh, Wall Street Journal poll, which is, I think, the best, most credible poll out there. Uh, Bill McInturf and uh, his Democratic counterpart. Um, so highly credible. And for the first time in history, the most important issue to American voters is preserving democracy yeah. and, 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 and concern about the threats to democracy. I mean, Josh, that's got to be stunning to you, too. I mean, in the last poll they didn't make, it wasn't even on the list. I know. No, we mentioned it so, actually early. The first half of the show mentioned it briefly. It it is stunning, but but before you get to the 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 heartened sort of like here's some hope thing, let's stay in the abyss. Um, what what Mark? What do you think were the 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 largest dynamics? The 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 largest drivers of the drift, the rather rapid drift of the Republican Party towards authoritarianism? Like what what happened? Well, I don't think it was a rapid drift. I think you can go back to Newt Gingrich. It starts there and we could talk for hours about it. Uh, it started with the Tea Party. It's an anti-establishment uh, drift. And Donald Trump, you know, hit that hinge point in history where just enough people in this country were worried about the future. I mean, they were it, it was, you know, generally presidential elections are about the future versus the past. Bill Clinton's a great example, you know, about his, he ran on the notion that uh, he was going to build a bridge to the 21st century. And Bob Dole was talking about going backwards. So he was the, 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 the wrong message at the wrong time about moving backwards. Donald Trump was the right message at the right time because people were, enough people in America were worried about their jobs, their security, worried about immigrants kind of taking over and just a changing way of life. And, you know, most for a long time, Americans embraced that idea that uh, while our way of life may be changing, that it was progress. And that's, you know, that was good for us. But we've reached a point where people are just afraid for the future. They're worried about immigrants taking their jobs. They're worried about technology, lowering their standard of living. And and Donald Trump tapped into that. And that and that is still very much alive uh, and well out there. And do you think that the concern about, I didn't see the cross tabs to this NBC poll. I mean, do you think that the concern about threats to democracy is shared on the right side of the aisle? And when I say right, that doesn't necessarily mean Republicans. I mean, people who view themselves as conservative. Well, that's a good question because, you know, obviously with the numbers that strong, there had to be some Republicans agreeing with it. And they could be agreeing with that in the wrong way, right? I mean, their threats to democracy could be that it's these progressives taking over. So it, it could be a mixed bag. Um, but I, I take, uh, I think it's, it's, it's encouraging to me that uh, this bell that we've been banging on, and you have especially, Josh, that you know this notion that uh, January 6th should have been a huge wake-up call and that it was maybe just a test run for 2024. And you know, we have all kinds of, of you know, uh, evidence out there that Donald Trump is kind of stacking the deck for 2024, electing secretaries of states and people who will have jurisdiction over the 2024 election. And have already said, you know, basically that they're, you know, it doesn't matter who wins. They're just going to call it for Donald Trump or the Republicans. So, uh, 
it, it, the threat is very real, and but I'm just glad to see that uh, some people are waking up to uh, the threat. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit more on this causality thing because it's fascinating, and especially from somebody like you with your with your pedigree. I mean, I, you know, there's people who argue it's in terms of you know, there's no one cause to the to the the extremism that has taken over since Newt Gingrich on the Republican side. People point to, to, to the undue influence of money in politics. They point to gerrymandering. They point to first past the post elections where you can see someone like Trump who got you know well under 45% of the Republican vote and won the nomination for president back in 2015. 16. Uh, there's there's a lack, lack of, you know, it could be fixed by ranked choice voting. There's a long list. I'm just curious from you being inside the bubble uh, going way back, what what is it that 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 most empowered the Newt Gingriches and the Tea Parties and the more extreme elements? Well, I mean, as you just pointed out, it's 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 not any one thing. It's a whole combination of things, and there's a lot of them. And and you know, again, we could talk for hours about that. And I think we'll be studying it for ever uh, about how we got where we are. Um, but you know, I think it is. I, I think. You know, there's all those reforms that, you know, you and I have been working on that collectively hope would, you know, collectively are the problem and collectively, if addressed, would help help address the issue. But, uh, you know, there's just what's happening in the United States is not you know, it's, it's not isolated in the United States. It's a global phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, what's happening is we're living in an increasingly complicated world, increasingly challenging world, uh, more and more threats uh, of all kinds. And people are just afraid. And, you know, so they they see somebody like Trump standing up for, quote, them. And they kind of don't care, you know, what the actual policies are, or what, uh, you know, what sort of, you know, constitutional rights that are thrown overboard uh, as long as their guys is, you know, protecting, quote, them and their interests. And and so that's why Trump maintains a stranglehold on the party. You know, people don't realize this. One of your uh, co-stars on the show is Alex Wagner, who just recently uh, stepped in to uh, replace Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. And Mark, a little fun fact, Rachel Maddow's from here. She's one of our own. In oh, fact, good. this she's the voice of the show. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And she came up in this station right here. Uh, she came up and crossed the hall at WRSI, the music station. Yeah, yeah, but now that media is all con conglomerated and everyone owns, every, you know, one company owns everything. Yeah. It's the same company. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah. she went to uh, Air America and then HMP ditched Bill O'Reilly and that programming for Rachel Maddow and Chuck D and oh, there we go. Al Franken and all those. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. But anyway, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, hold on. We're going to ask Mark, I want to hear about what are the craziest stories from the road? Because Mark travels all around this country for the circus on Showtime and has had some incredible experiences. And I'm, I'm interested in one of the craziest ones that sort of can inform where we're going. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy, save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. State Street Fruit Store. What the heck is a fruit store anyway? Well, State Street opened in Northampton in the 1920s as a fruit store, selling local fruit and other produce from the valley. And even though State Street has grown to be much more deli, wines, spirits, they are still a fruit store. And right now, State Street and their sister store, Cooper's Corner in Florence, are buried in berries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, schnozberries. Okay, they don't have any schnozberries, but they've got every other kind of local berry going. State Street, Fruit Store, and Cooper's Corner have always offered produce, picked by our Connecticut River Valley neighbors as soon as, and as long as, they're available. So come get fruit at a fruit store. Northampton has always been a fruity place. We are what we eat. State Street, Fruit Store in Northampton, and Cooper's Corner in even fruitier Florence. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Help a local baby stay fresh. One in three local families sometimes have to choose between diapers and feeding their kids. Let's wipe out diaper need in our communities. Donate diapers and wipes or cash through August 31st during the United Way Diaper Drive. Drop off new or clean opened packages of diapers or pull-ups at locations across Franklin and Hampshire counties. Find out how and where to donate at uw-fh.org forward slash diaper drive. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Josh Silver in for Bill Newman. We've got Mark McKinnon, star of the, one of the stars of the circus on Showtime. He's on the road frequently. Nice job, Monty. My pleasure. Texas, Willie Nelson. He doesn't get much better than that. So, Mark, for those people, uh, our listeners who have not seen your show, can you just briefly explain the format and and segue into some of the craziest interactions, experiences you've had on the road that might inform sort of this 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 fringe this right wing fringe of the United States uh, that has become mainstream in the Republican Party and what it could could portend for us. Well, um, I, I worked in uh, a bunch of campaigns and a bunch of presidential campaigns, and I always found them you know fascinating and interesting and entertaining and funny. 
Uh, but 95% of what was going on, the public never sees. And I always thought it'd be really interesting if I could figure out a format where we could kind of pull back the curtain and see behind the scenes. And so that that was the idea for the circus. The key to it is that it's a real-time documentary. In other words, it's a documentary that rolls up every week. We don't ever put anything on a Sunday night that's older than than Monday. So it's not like we, you know, most documentaries are six months or a year after something happens. And that's the challenge of the show is that nobody ever turned around anything that fast. And that's why it took me 10 years to get greenlit. Uh, but that's what we do. We turn around a document. We put you right in the cockpit of American politics. And everything we do is, you know, where we go where other cameras don't go and talk to people other people don't talk to and really try and show a perspective that other people don't see. So the sort of things that we do are, you know, which Alex was great at was really, you know, before the election, Alex was down in Georgia talking to the three percenters. And, you know, she she had a chilling interview with these guys who said basically, well, if Donald Trump wins, great. But if he loses, it was it was rigged and we're going to the streets. And so and and John Heilman talked to Steve Bannon. Bannon said the same thing. So everything that happened after that election was previewed on the circus. I mean, if you watch the circus, it was no surprise about what happened because we foreshadowed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that three percent. I mean, how how prolific is that worldview? I mean, do you think, you know, we know that what seventy five million people voted for for Trump in the last election, and it, you know, there's a lot of speculation about how his legal woes. There's this fatigue growing amongst Republicans. The sort of Trump fatigue and DeSantis is becoming more appealing. How do you think that's going to play? And I know this is hard to prognosticate, but like, what about this Trump DeSantis battle, and where's it going to go? Well, I mean, I, I saw one of the smarter pundits talking about last night's election, and that's, you know, the most recent data point we have. And, you know, there's some interesting results that show that they're, you know, a Democrat won a special election, which Republicans were supposed to win. And so just looking at that data point, I mean, sort of the conventional wisdom around all that is, oh, you know, a good Democratic candidate talking about Roe, uh, blah 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 but this this the the smart take i saw was that it's not so much about the democrat and the candidate and the issues he ran on as he saw it as more trump fatigue and just sort of the notion that you know off 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 cycle elections like this one are are all about enthusiasm which party's most enthusiastic and and this this pundit was saying and there's some evidence now and i think growing that Republicans are the ones who are kind of like running out of gas right now because because of Trump and all the legal stuff. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, it's just like, you know, and so I I think that there's an enthusiasm gap now beginning to emerge. That's a problem for Republicans. And so that's the that's the the, the I think the script that's flipped. And some basics here, you know, Trump's going to throw his hat in the ring immediately after the midterms, if not sooner, right? If if yeah. if his crisis uh, makes it worth the 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 downsides of doing that. Um, and for people who don't know, the reason he hasn't put his hat in the ring yet is it becomes very complicated for him from a campaign finance point of view um, that legally to, to announce your candidacy before the midterms and the Republican Party is begging him not to announce because it's because of the dynamics that you're alluding to. But let's let's just assume for a moment that he does announce his candidacy on November 9th or 10th. Um, do, does DeSantis run anyway? And and if he does 
What does that battle look like? I mean, is this a given that Trump's going to win the nomination or does DeSantis have a real fighting chance? Oh, I think DeSantis has a real fighting chance. I mean, he's the thing that I warn my Democratic friends is that, you know, he's 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 Trump only much smarter um, and uh, I think potentially more dangerous. And I also tell my Democratic friends that, you know, and there's a, I have some concern about the, the whole legal thing with Trump because um, I'm, the first point I make to my Democratic friends is if you want to win in 2024, now this is based on sort of the dynamics right now, which could change, but they'd have to change pretty dramatically. Right now, I'd say that Republicans are in the driver's seat for 2024 and that almost any Republican nominee could and would likely win in 2024. Um except Trump. So the Democrats' best chance in 2024 is for Trump to be the nominee. Uh, so all the Democrats that are jumping up and down about Trump's legal wolves, I say, well, you know, don't, don't get too excited because that's actually the guy you want. Because if Ron DeSantis is the nominee, he's got a much better chance to win in 2024. Uh, now, I think he's got tons of liabilities and he's got this crazy new ad right now that people are now likening to the Michael Dukakis moment. I don't know if you've seen it yet. But no, what is, what is it? It's it's kind of a Top Gun takeoff. It's oh, him yeah. with, you know, by an airplane and he's got a ridiculous helmet on his head. And, uh, he's he's kind of doing a Dan Crenshaw takeoff, but um, it could be problematic. But uh, I mean, the thing about DeSantis is that he's wound really tight. And the question is, and he's got he's got a really good instincts for this cultural war stuff, but he's got a circle of of people making decisions that are him and his wife, and that's about it. And he's got to expand that circle, which is going to be hard for him to do. So he could melt in the sun pretty quickly. And I think the guy to watch really for twenty twenty four on the Republican side is Glenn Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin, interesting. Uh, but if Ron DeSantis does win, Mark, if he wins the presidency, like. From a, from a perspective of those of us who are maybe less partisan, but more just deeply concerned about the rise of authoritarianism, oh, that, in the United States, uh, how bad is it? Well, I think, I think Ron DeSantis is, you know, like I said, he's like Trump, only he's smarter, he's meaner, and he's nastier. I mean, you combine that together, you've got a really dangerous stew, and... Um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting watching uh, Charlie Crist, you know, who won the nomination yesterday in Florida. And that Florida general election is looking a little different now. Val Demings, who is running for the U.S. Senate seat, who got the nomination as a you know, former police officer, black woman. And apparently that race is getting tight because I think there's a libertarian in the race that's pulling votes away from Marco Rubio. Mm -hmm. And Chris is talking, he's kind of got this message about, I'm all about love and DeSantis is all about hate and the division. And I mean, the conventional wisdom that, that I mean, DeSantis has got like a hundred million dollars. So very likely to win and maybe win big, but, but it's the, the, the dynamics are kind of shifting in Florida right now. I guess. Although for, for those of you who don't know, you know, uh, Chris is the for, former Republican who's now the democratic yeah. nominee, former everything. Yeah. Um, so that, that will be interesting, but let's listen, Glenn Youngkin, you mentioned him. He's the governor of Virginia. He narrowly won there. He's a Republican. Um, how the heck could Glenn Youngkin win a, a Republican primary nomination for president, given that he's a relative moderate? That's impossible, no? I don't know. I mean, I think he, to me, he showed the playbook uh, for the for Republicans to 
uh, he showed the real roadmap, which is to, uh, you know, be, you know, he's, he's uh, readopting the old sort of Reagan sunny optimism approach, which is where, I, you know, I think there's that that's the roadmap to the future, not to be the sort of divide and conquer approach of, of the Gingrich Trump era uh, and to take it back to the Reagan playbook, which I just think has a lot more potential. And I mean, Yunkin won in, in, in a state that he should have lost. And he did it with a message. I mean, he did it by keeping Trump out of the state. Mm-hmm. And so for, I think, Republicans, any future, uh, I mean, a bright future is one where Donald Trump is, you know, in the rearview mirror, not on the windshield. And that's what Yunkin did. And so I, I think that I think there's a lot of people excited about Yunkin. And there's a lot of Republicans who may not say it out loud, but they're 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 they have a lot of Trump fatigue. Mark, 30 seconds or less. Can you offer our listeners a little grain of hope? I mean, is authoritarianism going to prevail next year or in 24 rather? Or is there is there some some cause for optimism? I think there's I think there's cause. And I, I, I point once again to this poll that just, you know, out of nowhere, suddenly threats to democracy is the number one concern of people. So, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that that wasn't the number one concern after January 6th every day since then. And it's taken a while to get there. And I just wrote a column about giving Liz Cheney a lot of credit for being a, you know, one woman warrior on the Republican side, banging that drum. But it, I think thanks in large part to her and the January 6th commission, that message is breaking through. Thank you, Mark. Mark McKinnon, Showtime the Circus. Appreciate having you on. Hey, everyone, Gordon Oliver here. And if you don't know me, I'm the host of the weekly Saturday show, The Cambridge Connection on WHMP.com and wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. For the last year, I've been privileged to connect you, our listeners, with experts from a variety of financial industries and organizations that offer assistance and education to help everyone become more financially fit. See you on Saturday. If you've ever wondered what's going to last longer, me or the money, you'll want to hear from John Mayock of One Boston Financial Group this Saturday morning. Here's a slice of advice about pizza boxes. It's okay to recycle the entire pizza box as long as it's empty. For a long time, creasy boxes were assumed to cause recycling problems, but a new study proved they don't. It's time to capture the 3 billion pizza boxes used annually in the U.S. Visit RecycleSmartMA.org to learn more about what can and can't get recycled. After you've enjoyed tonight's pizza, turn the box inside out, discard what falls out, and recycle the rest. Brought to you by the WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, Northampton Radio Group Station. It's time.